Um, if you have your Bibles, can you turn to Luke 22, please? Luke 22. And so what we will be looking at this morning is the breaking of bread, or the Lord's Supper, or communion, or the Eucharist. You can take your pick. Um, those are all different terms that are used uh, in Scripture and throughout the early church. Um, and so this morning, uh, just a wonderful unity of word that the Lord clearly is wanting to speak to us. Um, and so we trust that as we look at these scriptures that God will open up uh, something in our hearts. The beauty of the breaking of bread is that it is not complicated. Um, it's a very simple concept, although very profound in its outworkings. Um, and so we want to ensure that we stick to only what Jesus commands us as a church, and we don't want to load ourselves with all other practices that are not actually from Jesus, um, and we don't want to become, uh, like Jesus says, for the sake of your traditions, that you make void the word of God, uh, and in vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. And so we don't want to be practicing anything that we've put on ourselves, uh, thinking that it makes us holier. We want to just be obedient to Jesus um, and do all that he has called us to. And so the two ordinances which he has commanded his church to do are? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Correct. Baptism and the Lord's Supper is what he has commanded his disciples uh, to practice. Um, and so as we know, baptism being an outward expression of what the Lord has already done in our hearts, um, we have died to him, and he's raising us up in newness of life. And so we have an outward expression of that, showing to the world, reminding ourselves, showing to the church uh, that we've put our faith and our trust in Jesus. Um, and then uh, communion being the other one which uh, Christ has commanded his people to do. And so we are going to be looking in Luke 22 to just give us a kind of starting point um, and then uh, see what else we, the Lord has to say for us. Verse 7, Luke 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover meal for us, that we may eat it. They asked him, Where do you want us to make preparations for it? Listen, he said to them, When you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs already furnished. Make preparation for us there. So they went and found everything as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When the hour came, he took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. When he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But see, the one who betrays me is with me, and his hand is on the table. For the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to that one by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to ask one another which of them it could be who would do this. Imagine being that guy. Very awkward dinner time, right? So what do we see from this portion of Scripture? What is communion? What is the breaking of bread? What is the Lord's Supper? And in essence, it is for us a reminder. 
It is for us as saints a reminder. And so the command for us and to Israel throughout the Old Testament was remember, right? They're very quick to forget. And I don't know about you, nothing's changed. We are very quick to forget the very goodness of God, uh, all that he's done in our lives, the promises. Uh, And so even Jesus coming and being a human, he even knows that with his new disciples that they were going to be a people who would forget. And so he commands them to remember. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And so what do we remember? Number one, we remember Christ's incarnation. The physical elements, the actual bread and the juice that we hold, they physical reminders in our very hands that Jesus himself became physical, that he was a real person, that we don't celebrate a theology, we don't celebrate a good idea, we celebrate a person who came not just to this planet but came into our lives, and for those who've put their trust and their faith in him, into our, into our very beings, him and us and us and him, that we serve a living Savior, not a dead one. And that reminder for us as we hold it, oh yes, this is not just a theory, this is a a living God who loves me and who I love and who I'm walking with in obedience, Inga. Yes, we walk in obedience, not in disobedience, to this wonderful Savior. One job. (laughs) One job. You had one job. You did a great job, actually. You did a great job. (laughs) You gave me something to say. Thank you. And so even in his teachings, we remember that it's not just about a God who dispenses teachings. It's a God who is alive. He's real. And so even as we sit under this word, not to, oh, I want to better understand Luke 22. I want to better understand Revelation. No, we want to better understand this real person, Jesus. Every time we break bread, every time we drink the juice, it's to remind ourselves, remember, he's real. He's a real person. Secondly, we remember through the breaking, we remember Christ's suffering and we remember his death. As he takes that loaf and he breaks it, it's the breaking of his body that he suffered for us. And sometimes we can just think about the salvation being, oh, God loves me and he wants to rescue me. No, no, he broke his body for us. He died for us. He suffered for us. And every time we take those elements, while we'll get to the place where it's actually a joyful thing, while we hold them and we break the bread, we remember that this Jesus was broken for us. We remember in the partaking, we remember that we have an individual partaking, right? Every one of us has to make a decision for Christ. Every one of us has to repent. Every one of us individually has to have our debts paid. And so individually, as you're holding that, I'm not holding your elements, you're holding them, is a reminder that every one of us individually has the ability to have this personal relationship with Jesus. That this real person broke his body for you, the individual. Yes, he broke it for the church as a whole, but he broke it for you, individual. And we can sometimes, while it's wonderful for us to remember, and we will get to it, that we're part of this broader body, not to forget that personal relationship he has with you. And yes, the West probably overlabors that one, right? Jesus died for me, which he did, but he died for a people. But the ability to hold those elements in our very own hands is for, to remind us that Jesus says, I died for you, Audrey. I died for you. That individual reminder that he died for us, that his suffering was for you, that your suffering no longer needs to happen. Is that not good news? I'm tired of suffering. I did my stretches this week, and I thought, you know, at 40, I'm doing my stretches. I miss one day, and my back feels like it's falling apart. I'm like, you know, and I mean, that's pathetic suffering, right? 
compared to what other saints are facing around the world. But I can't wait for that to be gone. New back, Lord, give me that new body, please. But we remember that he suffered for each one of us individually. It's on the day of unleavened bread at the celebration. You shall observe uh, the celebration of the Passover meal, right? So we need to understand that this breaking of bread, this communion, this Lord's Supper, um, is linked to the Passover meal. And so the Passover meal we see in Exodus 12, you shall observe this rite or this practice as a perpetual ordinance for you and for your children. When you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this observance. And when your children ask you, what do you mean by this observance? You shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck down the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed down and worshipped. And so the Passover meal was that reminder by painting the blood over the post of the door that the angel of death would pass over that house and move on to the next. To the house that had not trusted in the blood in that stage just of a lamb. And so when we take communion and we break the bread and we drink the juice and our children say, why do we do this? We remind them it's because of the blood of Jesus that the angel of death has passed over our household and that we get to live an eternal life with God. And he's saying, you need to keep reminding ourselves of this. Keep reminding your children. And so later on, we are going to have communion. And as families, I want you to include your children. Some of us may have theological issues with that. We can talk about that afterwards. But I want to tie us back to Exodus 12 and to say that the children are included in that as a reminder and an opportunity for us to share the gospel message with them and to remind them of the blood of Jesus. And so communion is the continued observance of this Passover. And so we get to celebrate something that has been celebrated for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, even pre-Jesus. We get to be part of this lineage of people who put their faith and their trust in the blood that God would supply. So isn't that a beautiful picture as you think back that we're part of this ongoing story of God? It's not just our own individual little story, 60, 70, 80, 90 years of it, 103 for some of our family members. We get to be part of the centuries and thousands of years old story of this incredible love and mercy that God has shown to mankind. And so in the Didache, which is an old document of the apostles, their understanding of um, kind of what is going on in the early church, uh, they, they write this. Now concerning the Thanksgiving or the Eucharist, thus give thanks. This is how it ought to be done. First concerning the cup. We thank you, our Father, for the holy vine of David, your servant, which you made known to us through Jesus, your servant. To you be the glory forever. And concerning the broken bread, we thank you, our Father, for the life and knowledge which you made known to us through Jesus, your servant. To you be the glory forever. Even as this broken bread was scattered over the hills and was gathered together again and became one, so let your church be gathered together from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. For yours is the glory and the power through Jesus Christ forever. But let no one eat or drink your thanksgiving or the Eucharist, but that they have been baptized into the name of the Lord. For concerning this also the Lord has said, give not what is holy to the dogs. Pretty straight up. They didn't really mince their words. Basically saying that if you haven't put your trust and your faith in Jesus, the Lord's Supper communion is not for you. It's for those who've put their trust and their faith in Jesus. And so even their early practices uh, were just surrounded by prayer and thanksgiving. 
The communion, the Lord's Supper, was just thanksgiving from beginning to end. There's another document uh, that says that the, the prophets would be able to, they were given the opportunity to give thanks, and they should be gi- given the opportunity to give thanks as long as they can. And so they would have moments of communion where they'd gather together and just have these long prayers of thanksgiving to God. Um, and how beautiful that is to remind us that actually this is a moment of thanks. It's a moment of gratitude to God for as long as we can, whatever is on our hearts. So we see the one loaf. So it's to remind us that, yes, there's an individual salvation, but it's also a reminder for us that we are one people. It's one loaf. It starts with one loaf, and that's supposed to be broken and then handed out. And it's to remind us that we're all part of this one body, part of this one loaf. And in the West, this is a really good thing for us to remember, right? That it's not just our own individual lives, that when things aren't going well, we just isolate, go home, and hang out by ourselves. No, we're part of one body. That when part of the body hurts, the rest of the body comes to help. When part of the body suffers, we all suffer. When we celebrate one part of the body, the whole body celebrates. We're not just individualized. While God does rescue us, we're part of one beautiful body. And that extends beyond just us, Liberty Right, extends to New Gen, extends to Shofar, extends to all the churches around us. That we're one body under Christ. And that beautiful day when all these pieces of bread scattered around the earth will all be gathered back together and get to worship God together as that one loaf again. I don't know how he'll put the pieces back together, but he is God. He can do whatever he wants. But all these little pieces of bread will gather together to make this one loaf to worship our God. 1 Corinthians 10, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing or a communion in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ, says Paul? Because there is one bread, and we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So even Paul is just reaffirming the fact that we are one body. And for us to walk in unity, and that word of unity is so important for the church, to remember that we're one body and we need to sort out our differences. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, right? It's not just in the world out there, but reconciling in us as a community. There are way too many churches that have division in the ranks. Surely if we are the people who are united in Christ, we should be a people united in love. And so we need to learn how to deal with our differences. We need to learn how to deal with our differences of theology. We need to learn how to deal with our differences of upbringing, right? And by the grace of God, we will learn how to do that as we grow in unity as this one loaf. Justin Martyr, who wrote a document in 155 to 157 AD, so way back, he writes concerning the breaking of bread. And so just to continue this idea that we're part of this ongoing story, um, he writes to a Roman emperor to try and help him understand what the Christians busy themselves with. Uh, And in chapter 66, he says this, And this food is called among us Eucharistia, or the Eucharist, of which no one is allowed to partake but the man who believes that the things which we teach, the gospel message, are true, and who have been washed with the washing that is for the remission of sins and unto regeneration. And who is so living as Christ has enjoined. For not as common bread and common drink do we receive these things, but in like manner as Jesus Christ our Savior, having been made flesh by the word of God, had both flesh and blood for our salvation." So likewise, have we been taught that the food which is blessed by the prayer of his word and from which our blood and flesh by transmutation are nourished is the flesh and blood of that Jesus who was made flesh. 
For the apostles in the memoirs composed by them, which are called the Gospels, have thus delivered unto us what was enjoined upon them, that Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, said, This do ye in remembrance of me. This is my body, and that after the same manner, having taken the cup and giving thanks, he said, This is my blood, and gave it to them alone. Chapter 67, uh, And on the day called Sunday, all who live in the cities or in the country gather together to one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read, as long as time permits. Then, when the reader has ceased, the president or the leader who's in charge there verbally instructs and exhorts to the, limit, to the imitation of these good things. Then we all rise together and pray, and as we before said, when our prayer is ended, bread and wine and water are brought, and the president, in like manner, offers prayers and thanksgiving according to his ability. And the people assent, saying, Amen. And there is a distribution to each, and a participation of that, um, over which thanks has been given. And to those who are absent, how beautiful is this? A portion is sent by the deacons. And they who are well-to-do and willing, give what each thinks fit. And what is collected is deposited with the president, uh, who secures or gives aid to the orphans and the widows, and those who through sickness or any other cause are in want. And those who are bonds uh, are in bonds, and the strangers sojourning among us, and in a word, takes care of all who are in need. But Sunday is the day on which we all hold our common assembly, because it is the first day on which God, having wrought a change in the darkness and matter, made the world. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the same day rose from the dead, for he was crucified on the day before that of Saturn, or Saturday, and on the day after that of Saturn, which is the day of the sun, having appeared to his apostles and disciples, he taught them these things. So a hundred years after Jesus, this is the practice that took place. But just that beautiful understanding of taking communion together, and for those who are absent, taking that communion, because even though you're sick, even though you're home, you're part of this body. We're coming to you to bring you to celebrate the fact that we are one. And it's just such a, and while, while we don't want to turn that into a, a rule, what we do want to understand is this incredible heart of this unity that God expects from his church. That if it's his body, surely we should be one. Surely we should be united. Surely those who do not make it, that we're concerned for their well-being. Not to check on them, why weren't you there? Hmm? Hmm? Don't you know we're going to have two meetings? You should at least get to one of them. Well, that's not what we're asking for. What we're asking for is an opportunity for the saints to come and be a part of the community. For those spread over little pieces of bread to all come together and to worship our one true Savior. It's an important, important concept as we're holding those elements to remind ourselves that this juice comes from a bigger cup of juice. Remember the good old days when you used to pass that bit, one big, um, what do they call those things? chalice around so should we bring that back the guys at the end are like is that a piece of bread i see in there (laughs) so there may be a reason that we we break it up into smaller pieces but what the idea was supposed to be is that we actually come from this bigger urn of juice and this bigger loaf of bread that we are all part of this one thing and important important for us to remember unity in the church is a really really big deal to god Unity is a big deal. In Ephesians, part of what we heard today, he has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace. And might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. If Jesus laid his life down 
to restore hostility, we best make sure there isn't hostility among us. Surely, by the power that the Holy Spirit gives us, we can live in peace with one another. We can figure this stuff out. You know, the one thing that always fascinates me about that story of Jesus is when he says, one of you will, be, one of you will betray me. And all of them are like, who is it? Who is it? I tell you, if I was Jesus and I said one of you would betray me, they would know who it was just by the way that I interacted with them over the last few months. Knowing that this guy would betray me, there, there would be a difference in the way that I treated that person. We are rubbish at hiding our irritations with other people, aren't we? Amen. And wives are incredibly quick in figuring out when things are not okay. They have this ability to read our faces and go, something's not right there. But Jesus, knowing this guy's going to betray him, absolute love for him, doesn't give away the fact that he's going to betray him. And all the others are like, who is it? Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Either they were really dwarf, or Jesus was incredibly kind and forgiving and merciful and loving. And I think I'll go with option two. Can we be like that? Forgiving. The one who's about to make us suffer and break bread with that person right there and then. I wonder if the Lord could do a work in us that that could be said of us. That we would sort out our differences, sort out our divisions. That God would bring in this body a unity. We see Paul write to the Corinthian church, which was rocking and rolling in the gifts of the Spirit. But as we know, a whole lot of stuff a mess. He writes to them and says, Now in the, in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And to, to some extent, I believe it. Indeed, there have to be factions among you, for only so will it become clear who among you are genuine. When you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper. One goes hungry, the other becomes drunk. What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Some people come with sushi, others come with poloni sandwiches. What should I say to you? Should I commend you in this matter? I do not commend you. For I received from the Lord, which I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Hectic. Examine yourselves and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body eat and drink judgment against themselves. For this reason, many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Ooh. But if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with this world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If you are hungry, eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for your condemnation. About the other things, I will give you instruction when I come. And so, while... This practice of communion is not special in and of itself. What we also see in the scriptures is not to take it for granted. It's not a game that we get to play. It's a reminder of these things that we've already mentioned. 
But in some ways, Jesus is saying, because you're my body and there's this unity that I desire from you, that when you take communion, you need to do it properly, that there is a right way to do it that builds one another up and doesn't break one another down. I mean, how crazy to celebrate a unifying God and in that celebration we're dividing. I mean, God's like, what is going on here? We need to be a unifying people in Christ. And so the matter of the body of Christ coming before the head, as we heard this morning, that's what it is. It's us coming before the head and saying, Lord, help unite us. We can't do this by ourselves. We can't do this in our own strength. But we know that you've died for us and we come as the body. We come and repent for all the division that's in our hearts, that's in our minds, the things we remember against one another. Remembering how much God has forgiven us. We forgive those who've offended us. Counting others more important than ourselves. In essence, that's the problem with burdens we have with other people, right? We think we're more important than them. And so how dare you? And Jesus is saying, well, in comparison to him and us, I think he is more important. And yet he has forgiven us. And so surely as his body, as we come together to celebrate his blood and, and reminder of the broken body, surely we can forgive? Yes. Or we can ask him for the strength to forgive? And we can do that? Either way, God is calling for us to be a united people under Christ. And so the Lord's Supper returns dignity to everybody. That's what it does. None of us greater than the other. None of us eating sushi. None of us eating poloni. Middle ground. We all come before the cross, all dignified by God. And we wait for one another, counting others more important than ourselves. We remember with thanksgiving. So it's not just remembering, because to remember the Lord's body broken is pretty macabre and can be quite depressing. But we remember with thanksgiving, because we remember the fruit of his death. And so that word thanksgiving is where we get Eucharistio, which is that's where we get the Eucharist from. So a good reminder for us of thanksgiving. Um, and so while it is a somber moment, Christ's intention for us as a community when we gather to celebrate the breaking of bread is for thanksgiving. It's to appreciate him and the work that he's done and all that we gain, the debt that was paid, and the life and rewards that we get because of him. And so this new covenant, which we heard this morning, was ratified by his blood. He says, a new covenant I give you. No longer do you need to obey the laws, but this new covenant that by my blood, I will now write these laws on your hearts and in your minds, that by the power of the Holy Spirit given to us, not because of anything we did, but because of all that Jesus did, we get to live in obedience to God and get to please the Father and live a life that we've always wanted to live, that's written on our hearts, but because of sin, we just cannot do it, like Paul says. Things I know I should be doing, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. And now, by the power of the Spirit, we get to see our lives aligned to Christ, the new body, a new self, laying off the old self, putting on the new self. And that's a wonderful covenant. That we enter into the agreement. That's all we do. We just agree with Jesus. And by that agreement and repentance, we get the life of God into our lives. And it flows through us, changing us and transforming us over time. Clean out the old yeast so that you may be a new batch as you really are unleavened. For our Paschal or Passover lamb, Paul writes, Christ has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the festival. Not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. That's what we get to celebrate Christ with now. As the Holy Spirit creates in us worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. 
And as we've seen over this year and over the years as the Lord is working in our lives and seeing this church is really a church of unity. I've seen incredible unity and restoration in this church and we continue to pray for that. But it happens because we submit our lives to Christ, right? It's not because we're like, we must now be united. No, it doesn't work like that. As we submit ourselves to Christ and put him at the middle and remember him, our unity as our eyes turn to Christ is where our unity comes from. We become united with Christ on the throne, not trying to earn unity, but as the Spirit unites our hearts, we become a church of unity. And the Lord blesses that, right? The Lord pours himself upon people who are united and who want to love one another and count others more important than themselves. Count those who do not know him as more important than themselves, that they would lay their lives down to see more and more people come to the knowledge of Christ. And so the communion table is not a place for us to be thinking about our work and how we got there. The table is where we remember Jesus' work. We arrive at the table with nothing, right? It's all provided for us. That's the illustration. Jesus saying, I've done it all. I've laid the table. I love it when he says there's a big room. Go find there's a big upper room, spacious place, because God has a place at the table for you. God has a place at his table for you. And he wants us all to partake. There is none who come to him and he says, no, there's no space for you. He wants all to partake. He remembers the strong. He remembers the weak. And so you might be in a great place with the Lord. You don't come there like, yes, I'm in a good place, Lord. No, we come. I still bring nothing. I receive this, Jesus, as your gift to me. For those of us who feel like we're in a weak place, just, just not gaining victory over certain areas, we come to the table to receive his strength. He died for the weak. Those who think that they're healthy, he says, you don't need a physician. You have no need of me. But for those who realize and recognize the absolute need for him, he's got space. And so he welcomes you to his table. We remember, we proclaim the Lord's death until his return. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so in as much as we come to the table, recognizing and remembering all these things uh, that we've spoken of, we also come remembering Christ's death, but also that he's coming back. And so we celebrate his body, but part of it, the thanksgiving part of us, to say thank you for what you've done, but Lord, we proclaim the fact that you are coming back. We are holding on to these, the fact that you are coming back for your people, coming to rescue these little pieces of bread that are scattered all over the world. And so we proclaim to the world, we proclaim to ourselves, we proclaim to our family members who are with us, we proclaim to God, a reminder, we proclaim to those who are unbelievers, who come and go, what is this weird practice that you do? And it's a proclamation that we remember what the Lord has done for us, but also our hope that he will return. And so what manner or form do we approach the Lord's Supper? I love that they reclined at the table. And so the way that people would come to a dinner table back in Jesus' time is that they would recline there. And so there's an element of relaxation. There's an element of just coming to be a part of it, enjoying one another, and relaxing into it. And that's how, while we consider this thing really important, 
Jesus also wants to come to us as friends. He wants us to approach him as friends. It's simple. The table is simple. It's not flashy. There's not huge trimmings. As a church, we want to remain a simple and raw church. We don't want smoke machines. We don't want to get all fancy that that becomes the center of our worship. We want the simplicity of Christ to be the center of the worship in this church. Just juice, just bread. That's all we have to offer. And so as a church, we remember the fact that it's about simplicity. So can I ask us to please go and grab bread and juice? There's two over there. There was one over there, not there. It's coming. There's one coming. There we go. There we go. So can I just ask everyone to go grab a piece of bread and juice and then return to your seats, please. So Jesus says every time you gather, to, and we do this, we remember him. Um, and Charles Spurgeon says that the frequency of it is to show how often we need to be reminded of our dear Lord, for we are prone to forget him. Uh, and so it's just a reminder for us this morning, um, as often as we gather. And so I want to encourage you as life groups, uh, even when you have friends coming over for dinner, um, there's always a great time to center our discussion and our fellowship time on Jesus, the simplicity of this gospel message. Very quickly, we can get to a space where churches become all about the, well, there's stuff in the news recently of churches that are just, it's an abomination. It's just how much money is spent on just trying to make churches look fancy. Um, and we question about whether actually the heart of Jesus is really in that place anymore. And so what we do when we celebrate this is to remember the simplicity of Christ and how profound at the same time the death and resurrection is. And so as we take this bread and we eat it, we remember his body broken for us. And as we take this juice, we remember the new covenant, which is bound up in his blood. Anybody who wants to give thanks for us? can be a handful. doesn't have to be super long. Any opportunities? Anything on your heart that you're just grateful for the Lord for? Come hither. Thank you, Lord, for your incredible love that you mm. demonstrated, that you're teaching us. And I thank you, Lord, that you're revealing your love to us this morning, Lord. And thank you that you will open our eyes and our hearts to receive that and to also understand that how much you love the person next to us, behind us and in front of us. Thank you that you've modeled this. You're teaching us. We are eternally grateful for that incredible love. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else? Thank you, Lord, so much for the privilege of being a part of your kingdom and for the privilege of community that we have here, Lord. Um, the intimacy that you call us with you and with each other and how this is a space of, of leaning in on each other and finding strength together. Thank you, Lord. Well, thank you that you are a God of reconciliation. Mm that you are mending families that no separation between child and father mm. or mother and daughter or vice versa can is too much for you. Mm. Lord, you 
want to restore that family unit that you designed and I just am so grateful that you are doing that in our midst and I want to pray for all of those relationships here that you want to mend, that we don't see a way where you can mend. We give that to you because you, there's nothing above what you can do, Lord. And I just ask that you would come and work and we want to appreciate what you have done this far, Lord. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Heidi. So, Lord, we, uh, we reminded that every time on earth when you prayed to your Father, God the Father, the whole heaven opened up and poured out the love of God the Father over you. And the last time when you were on the cross bearing our sins and you prayed to the Father, you found nothing but hell so that we don't ever have to go that way. And every time you open the door so that every time we pray, the love of God the Father can be opened and poured unto us. So we pray and we thank you for that, Lord. Amen. Amen. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity surely he bore our sorrows and by his stripes we are healed amen thank you lord Lord, thank you that we can all be together in this church that's wonderful and that we can praise your name and we can all love one another and that we can all learn more about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Tita. Father, we thank you so much for the sacrifice Mm. of your son. And in response, to share our our praise and our gratitude, please send your spirit upon us. Mm. Send us out into the world and the power of that same spirit to live and to work Mm. to your praise and glory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you for every single person here. Thank you for every relationship, mm. every friendship that is and will come. And we thank you for the new members that you are going to bring to us, church, to your body, to mm. your kingdom. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, what a great reminder for us of this beautiful inheritance that we have thousands and thousands of years of faithful saints bowing their knee before you because of the work that you did on the cross, not because of their faithfulness, not because of their mighty deeds, but because of yours. And the simple act of remembering you, we join that great witness 
Lord, all of creation will cry your praise. And our simple acts of holding juice and bread as our cry of adoration and gratitude to you. Lord, this church thanks you for the spirit which has united us. We thank you for your blood which you poured out for us. We thank you for all those whom you have rescued. We thank you for all those whom you have preserved. Lord, as we look forward to your return, may we daily remember you. All the many things you have done, your kindness, your goodness, your faithfulness to us. May we not be a forgetful people. May we remember you. Lord, would you help us to pass on the baton to our children, not in a way that we convince them, but in a way that we show them the life that you have given us, and that that same life through your gospel would bring them to life. Would you renew their spirits, Lord? Would you call them your sons and your daughters? Lord, we thank you for the privilege we have of them being a part of this gathering and experiencing your incredible love and goodness to us. As we worship you with our lives, as we worship you with our hearts, and even through our acts of obedience. God, I pray that if there are any here this morning whom you have begun to stir in their hearts this need to paint your blood over their doorposts, that the angel of death would skip them at your return. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would not let them go. Would you continue to move them? Would you continue to draw them? We know that it is by your blood alone that we are rescued. Lord, as all the firstborns of Egypt perished, the firstborn of God perished on our behalf. A demonstration of incredible mercy and kindness, Lord. That by your free will, you laid your life down for us. Would we not forget what is a seemingly simple task by the seemingly simple symbols which you gave us? Help us to be a people who remember you. Help us to remember God. Let us not be a forgetful people. This morning we remember you. We worship you. May our lives be ongoing sacrifice for all that you've done for us, Lord. Your people... In unity, say amen to you. We love you, God, and are so grateful for all that you have done and continue to do in this church. We live for your glory. Amen.